So when we hear often about when we talk about the good shepherd, we automatically start to think, well, that must make us what? Sheep. sheep. And what do we know about sheep? And that's usually where we hang out on this passage, right? Like, oh, we're just a bunch of dumb people that God tries to lead. But, well, what do we know about sheep? Look at this video. And this kind of captures what shepherding and what God must feel sometimes. Okay? Go ahead and watch this. I don't think I need to say anything else. What is, what is shepherding like? It is like that. You, the sheep gets stuck. The sheep has probably hurt itself. The sheep, I mean, there's actually probably a minute or two before this of how they're like wrapping the cord around the leg to pull it out, but not to pull it too much because you don't want to hurt the leg. And it gets it out, and you see this jovial jumping around. Yay, I'm free. Everything's okay. Plunk. <laughs> right into it. I mean, we've not, we're not shepherds. I, I don't think anybody here is a shepherd from what I know of everybody here. But on this Mother's Day, I mean, if you think about it, a lot of this is very much like parenting. It's not, not, not much different here. Now, this wasn't originally planned to be a Mother's Day time, but there's a, a deep, deep connection to what it means to raise children and guide them and direct them, what it means to make disciples, somebody that want, you want to see love Jesus and follow Jesus, grow up into maturity and get out of the ditches in their lives, and what it's like to be the good shepherd and what Jesus is talking about here in this passage. There's a whole lot of overlaps. And while we want to talk about the shepherd, and if you look at the Bible, there's shepherd language all over the place. Because in the Middle East and Israel, there's shepherding all over the place. I mean, what are some of the famous passages you can think of when you think about sheep and shepherd, besides this one? Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I, sh I mean, an automatic connection to God's guidance in our life. He's not saying we're sheep that we're jumping in there, although there's a lot of overlaps there. That's not the point. It's about the shepherd. It's not about the sheep. What, does anybody think of any other passages that may be sheep or what Jesus talks about sheep and shepherds elsewhere? Yeah, so that's the, the Psalm 23, the whole passage, uh, make them lie down in green pastures. Yeah, it, it, I mean, he, he looks over Jerusalem. Do you remember what he says? They were like sheep without a shepherd. I mean, there's this heartbeat of God that this passage really brings about. And this is one of the, uh, the top of the shepherding sheep dynamics that we find throughout all of Scripture. Now, before we dive into the idea that uh, as sheep, we are the ones to hear his voice, we are the ones that are known by him, and we are the ones to follow him, I want to give a little bit of a historical backdrop to this, because I think it's really, really unique to this. Because this passage takes place in two different festivals. The first one we've talked about is the Festival of Booths, but this last part of it is what's known as the Festival of Dedication. Modern day, 
This is known as Hanukkah. Jesus celebrate, is celebrating Hanukkah in this passage. So what is that all about? What's actually happening in the midst of that? So in the years leading up to Jesus' death, there was a high, high anticipation for what was known as the Messiah, the one that was going to fulfill the promise of God and taking them out of rebel or out of slavery like Egypt and into new life. So since the conquest of Alexander the Great in 332, the Middle East, where Israel is, was conquered by Greek influence it was, and by its culture. Within 150 years, Israel had adopted numerous Greek and cultural religious habits. Some of these people tried to stop what was called Hellenization, becoming more Greek. But many people, many Jews, compromised their faith and became more like the culture and less like their God. So there were these priests that were named Jason and Manelaus who were so corrupt that they led to the demise of the temple itself. Under the leadership of Antiochus Epiphanes, whom we talked about a year and a half ago with Daniel, who Daniel himself prophesied by, these soldiers came in, they desecrated the temple, God's house, with pig's blood. They outlawed Jewish rituals, they burned the scrolls, and they erected pagan idols in the temple. And so this caused the Jewish people to stand up and to revolt. It's known that in 160 BC, this was the Maccabean Revolt. If you've ever read the, um, uh, the Apocrypha in a Catholic Bible, you have the books of First and Second Maccabeus. This is where you find these stories. So this guy named Judas Maccabeus, also known as Judas, uh, Judas the Hammer, he uh, took back the temple on what we now know as December 25th. The people celebrated and rededicated the temple on December 25th every year for eight years. So what they would do is they would light candles. Think of a menorah, okay? This was a time when they would light a candle because he only had one, um, he only had one uh, day's worth of oil. And yet, miraculously, that day's worth of oil lasted eight days. So these lights are lit as a reminder of this Maccabean revolt prior to the birth of Jesus. Now, how does that connect here? This led to a lot of questioning around the leadership of Israel. How could the shepherds let this happen? What led up to this treacherous, unbelievable judgment from God? And so they would commonly read this also super important passage about shepherding in Ezekiel chapter 34. But this is about the shepherds of Israel. Listen to what it says. You'll see it on the screen. And this is God saying to, to Ezekiel, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds, of the leaders of Israel, and say to them, give them this message. This is what the sovereign Lord says Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? 
You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not, you've brought, you have not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every eye hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. I mean, you hear God's heart for his people, right? I mean, he's looking at these leaders and saying, in essence, you have focused on yourself and not my people. You were supposed to be in charge of caring for my people, guiding them, helping them um, understand truth. But instead of feeding them, these shepherds only fed themselves. They only looked it out for what was in it for them. They didn't take care of the weak. They didn't take care of the sick. And they didn't go searching for the lost. This rebuke against the temple leadership is clear. They gave up their job and they made it about themselves. It was no longer about the flock. It was about the shepherd. I mean, that's a heavy, heavy passage. And they would read this during Hanukkah. But in the midst of that and in the midst of all this, especially judgments of God, there's always hope. Because there's promises that came right after this. So, Ezekiel 34, verse 11, this is what it says. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out of the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them um, on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in the settlements of the land. I will tend them in good pasture in the mountain heights of Israel and be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and they will fed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lying down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. I mean, notice who's doing this work. All prior to Jesus, this, this prophecy, prior to dedication, prior to Hanukkah, but there was this anticipation. Who was going to show up to shepherd his people? God himself was. The Lord, the sovereign Lord, Yahweh. So there's this hope for people in the midst of these broken leaders, these false leaders that only are looking out for themselves, that are being rebuked and challenged, God gives them this picture and a hope. If, at Hanukkah, in the midst of remembering this broken leadership that allowed these treacherous things to happen under their watch, there's still this hope. And so Hanukkah was all about asking hard questions. 
Where were the shepherds and what was their job? And it's with this backdrop, Jesus shows up because all the people know this stuff. This is like background information. They don't need to be reminded of this. And Jesus shows up while the temple leaders are there at the time. And what does he say to them? I'm the good shepherd. Now remember, I am is really, really important. Not in my notes, but I have to go here. I am is, in the Greek, a go, a me. It is the way in which the word in Exodus 3, when God gives himself a name, is translated. So what we know as Yahweh, God's name himself, I am the I am. What Jesus is saying in essence is Yahweh the shepherd. I am. Why do you think they want to stone him so bad? You go back two chapters and he says before Abraham was I am. They pick up stones and wanting to kill him. What's the accusation in this passage? You're claiming to be God because he's saying that he is Yahweh himself, the shepherd. And also, he's all that Ezekiel 34 stuff that you guys know, that's me. I'm the good shepherd. These leaders are not the ones you need to be looking to. That's about me. So this isn't saying you sheep who are so foolish. It's saying Jesus, who is the good shepherd, is so good. He's the shepherd and he's the gate. He's, John says it later. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. That's the gate. You can't get into the sheepfold unless you go through Jesus himself. So here is this shepherd, magnificent passage, unbelievable. And then he goes on to say, and I'm going to hang out in verse 27 because I think it kind of captures this so much. It says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. My sheep know my voice, I hear them and they follow me. So the first thing that we know about the good shepherd and our relationship with as sheep to the shepherd is that the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. Um, every summer, uh, for years, we've uh, been going to Sons of Thunder. I've, I've gone with a few of you. It's been a blast. We're planning on going again in July. Um, it's four days instead of three, so dads. It's a father-son weekend, camping, smelling bad, but like lots of guided activities. It's a blast. And one of the games that they play and I, I saw how they were setting it up, and I was like, I know exactly where they're going, but go for it. So what they did is they had this big field and all these different shaped items, if I remember correctly. And what they do is they blinded the child. And the, so the kid was on the other side, and then the father was here, okay? Which, thankfully, there was no injuries here. But what they, in essence, said is you have to listen for your father's voice and then go. And so what Judah and I did is we, we, because we have this relationship, we use numbers. Instead of yelling left or right to get confused, each number was a different. So one meant forward, two meant right, three meant backwards, and four meant left. So everybody else is yelling out directions, but because of our relationship, I'm yelling out numbers. And like, what's going on? And we did good. And so we had a way in which this relationship allowed us to connect 
so that through the myriad of other fathers, the myriad of other voices being yelled, and it was chaos, it was loud, it was obnoxious, okay? But through the thick in the midst of all of that, the goal was for the child to hear the voice of the father. The sheep know the shepherd's voice. I mean, think about all the noise that's in our day, all the distractions, all the times in which you're, you're distracted. And think about as parents, as mothers, as fathers, raising children. I mean, gosh, it's just a fight to get off the phone and just have a conversation. Like, no, like, like, no just move it away. Like, we've already said, well, I'm not going to go there. I really want to, but I'm not. This bad, talk good, okay? Just to be able to hear their voice, know the heart, because hearing the voice isn't really about just being able to tune into the voice of God. Now, I will say this, though. This is absolutely what I think this passage is saying. I absolutely believe that God's people here and now can hear God's voice, can be led by the Spirit of God, can in time, in the present, in really powerful ways, whether it's visions, whether it's dreams, whether it's nudges, whatever it may be, God speaks to his people now. But the sheep have to hear and know it. How comfortable are you hearing the shepherd's voice? I mean, just think your normal life, nine to five, you're at work. No one works nine to five anymore, but you know what I mean. How comfortable are you you, when you're at home preparing a meal to tap into the voice of the father? Is there a level of intimacy that you have that is fostered. It, it, it doesn't just happen at conversion. I think we get access at conversion, but it's fostered in an intimate relationship year over year over year. So how comfortable are you at that? How, how much can you be in the moment led by the voice of Jesus? Because we are, if we're to be led by God, we must hear the voice of God. So it says right there, first thing, the sheep hear my voice. But the second thing, and I think this is a really profound thing of the sheep and the shepherd relationship. What does Jesus say about his sheep? I know them. I know them. Verse 3, it actually says, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep out by name. There's an individual side of this relationship. Uh, During the Palestinian uprising in the late 1980s, the Israeli army decided to punish a village near Bethlehem for not paying its taxes, which the village claims simply financed their occupation. So the officer in command rounded up the village animals and placed them in a large barbed wire pen. Later in the week, he was approached by a woman who begged to release her flock, arguing that since her husband was dead, the animals were her only source of livelihood. He pointed to the pen containing hundreds of animals and he humorously quipped that it was impossible 
because that he, there's no way they're going to find their animals. Like, how could you actually know which ones are yours? So she asked if she could, in fact, separate them herself. Would he be willing to let her take them? So the, the officer agreed. Soldier opened the gate. The woman's uh, son produced a small reed flute. He played a simple tune again and again. And as he walked through, sheep's heads began to pop up. And, at, and as soon as they began to pop up, the young boy continued his music, walked home, and was followed out the gate, followed by the 25 sheep that they had. Not only did they hear the voice, but he knew which ones he was looking for. He, the shepherd knows the sheep. You think about what it means to be known by God. I mean, at one point in the past, I, it's just, I don't remember where it says this in the scriptures, but it says that don't rejoice that um, you know God, but rejoice that God knows you. Like, rejoice that you're known by God. Like, think about that. What does it mean to be known by God himself? Like, your story, he knows every matter and every speckle and every spark and every good and every bad and every ugly. He's been part of every single thing. He knows your personality, how you tick, how you wire. He knows how to talk to you, right? You ever hear people like, oh, yeah, when I heard God, he sucks like this. I'm like, I don't, God doesn't talk to me like that. Why doesn't he talk to me like that? Because he knows you. That doesn't work for you, maybe. Right? He knows you. He knows your personality. He knows your gifts. He knows your part in the body of Christ. He knows how he's designed you and wired you and knows where you've been, where you are, and where you're going. And, and part of us is like to be so known, we want to feel like we have to hide ourselves, right? Like if somebody knows me that intimately and that good, there's not going to be a good relationship there. They're gonna, if they know all of it, ooh, that's bad. But what does God say when he looks at us? He, he says, I love you. Like, so to be known by God isn't a shame-induced thing. It's because we're known by the one who loves and is extending grace, who knows us, who knows how to guide us. And that's this third part of this. Not only does my sheep hear my voice, I know them, but what does it say? They follow me. The sheep and the shepherd have a relationship where they are walking around and they're following the shepherd's voice. I mean, think about this summer's emphasis that we have about the summer to bless. The idea around, be, and I want to emphasize, this is not some quirky little cool tool that we've been revitalizing again. It's the idea of this is, these are the environments in which you get to be led by the good shepherd. So I'm not telling you, here's how you bless. What I want you to do is I want us to be a people that says, God, how do you want me to bless? You're the one that's leading me, not me. And I'll say this in light of my sabbatical. I'm not the one leading us. It's Jesus that's leading us. And I think we have that as clear as day. But there's been like, well, Justin, are you sure? I, I've had some of those conversations. And I'm like, yeah, Jesus has got this. 
Like, Jesus is the good shepherd. And I'm also going to say, like, you have other great shepherds. The elders here love you. When you think of the Ezekiel 34 passage and you see, like, what's in it for them, oh, my gosh, like, if more churches had more men with and families of high quality that loved this group of people as they do, the, the church would not be in the mess that it's in right now. And I can honestly say that. Both that it is in a mess, and both what I think about the, the shepherds of this body. And at the end of the day, Jesus is the one guiding, not us. Jesus is the good shepherd. That's why so you hear some people call elders under shepherds. Because they're under the good shepherd. But he's the one that's leading. He's the one that's guiding. So when you eat, when you go back to the blessed rhythms, it's not like, okay, you need to, okay, everybody get out the grid. And you need to fill out every square of that grid. And if you don't, then there's going to be accountability. No, like, and oh, you don't have an idea? Let me give you an idea. Don't think that that, has, that doesn't happen. And what, what are we saying? No, he's the good shepherd. So it's not, this is a little indictment here. If we're not doing, it's probably because we're not listening, not because he's not leading. If we're not living out the life that he's called us to, it's not because God's not speaking and it's not because God's not guiding. It's because we're probably not tuned in and we're not following him. We've probably now started to listen to somebody else's voice. We've probably started to tune in. And this is the danger that this passage intuitively speaks to. Because these people knew the dangers of what it meant to be a shepherd and what it meant to be a sheep in this day. They're familiar where the desert, where the shepherds roamed, the desert. They were a 45-minute walk into the outskirts of the same desert that Jesus would be tempted in. And during certain months, there was lush green and the shepherds would graze. But in certain months, there was a lot of danger. So the image here is of a flock of sheep in a threatening desert. Enemies that could be false shepherds or hired hands, an environment where things could lead them astray. The word good here is actually not like um, a moral term, as in like he's good, not bad. It's actually the term noble. So this, this passage could be said, he is the noble shepherd. What type of nobility? Because this is not an easy path to walk. He is the one that's sacrificing. He knows the dangers. And so what's Jesus doing? What's he trying to connect them to? Himself. There's active agents that are trying to lead the sheep in directions that is away from the good shepherd. Sometimes it's religious leaders. Sometimes in the church, we place character under competency. So if they have more character, excuse me, more competency, more fruit, we're willing to look aside from the bad stuff because we can focus on the good stuff. There's a podcast about that I'd love to talk to you about if you want to listen. They, religious leaders that are saying good things but are not living it because they have competency over character. John addresses this in his epistles. In essence, he says, if you want to discern the validity of a new would-be shepherd, test his profile against the profile of Jesus that you read in my gospel. That's what John would say. 
How do you know if somebody's worth following? Look at their life and see if it looks like the life of Jesus. But sometimes the enemy is not just, or excuse me, the, the danger is not just religious leaders that we have to pay attention to. Because, brothers and sisters, and I, like, you have access to everything online right now. You can go online, and we've talked about this. You can listen to the best of the best communicators in here. So if this is just about this time in our gatherings, you, well, it's like, well, I'm going to go online and experience that. That's not what the Bible teaches about the gathering of God's people. But you could also and very easily go down a rabbit trail by finding a one sermon that you liked that kind of gave you what you wanted and open up into a wide world of dangerous teaching. It's, it's very easy. Like, oh, who do you like? Who, I, oh, I have to go here. Online church. This idea like, oh, I'm going to just go and I can just go online. They're not shepherding you. Like, we have people in your, that you are in relationship with, that this is a, con, like, not a constant, but this is an, a, a discussion regularly. Why? Like, I just listen to them online. They don't care about you. I mean, they do loosely if they're godly people, but they're not shepherding you. I'll leave that. I can go on, but I, for time. Not only that. There's also the enemy. Verse 10, often is a, Satan is associated with a thief. A thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, while this passage isn't necessarily just Satan, it's instructive to know that we have a very real enemy that does not want us to live the life we're called to. We don't talk about the spiritual dynamics of life enough around here, and that's on me. I own that because I came from an environment that it felt like it was overly focused on. And I, I'm like, oh, we're going to rightly focus on it. But I've probably led us too far to the other end of the pendulum and not focused on the enemy enough, not focused on the fact that we have an active agent and an active army of agents, if you will, that are actively working against your and my flourishing, wanting to distract us, and we have to be aware of that. And that's why it's so key, the nourishing practices and you being nourished by Jesus on a regular basis is to take you away from that. And then lastly, I'll end with this, the danger of the environment. The, the day that we are in, there's lots of things that can distract us. There's lots of teachings and lots of things that can lead us astray. Authoritarianism, false teaching, onslaught of media, gender issues, on and on and on it goes. The environment itself, and we as your leaders can't be with you at every point. And, and Jesus, what does he say in John chapter 14 and 16? It's good that I'm not with you. Because then you'll have the spirit instead. The spirit who is the active one that brings about this relationship to the good shepherd. So what his sheep hear his voice. His sheep, um, God knows his sheep. And his sheep follow him. Jesus is the shepherd of his people. He is the leader. He is the one that loves and cares and supports. But our job is to make, are we listening? And are we being led by? 